jacket and shirt as far as I could tell. And she walked just like an edgy little man. Someone who was on edge all the time. And she talked hard and fast. And she was tough as a fucking badger. Even though she talked nice enough to me. Why shouldn't she talk nice to me? I'd turned state's witness in order to avoid an accessory to murder charge. I was on the side of the state of Idaho. So was Jessica, though, and that hadn't helped her much. She'd been crying ever since the prosecutor made her describe how Andy had hit her on occasion, how he'd cracked her front teeth with a beer glass, etc. And I knew Jessica was crying because of the things she wouldn't get the chance to tell, how Andy could be really sweet when he wanted to be, how he'd bought her a necklace and they were going to get married when he came into the rest of his inheritance the shit she would always say whenever you told her she should just get the fuck away from him. Or at least when she wasn't saying he was the biggest asshole on earth. And now the defense attorney was taking his shot at her, and she was crying because, unlike the prosecutor, he was insisting Andy wasn't the biggest asshole on earth, and suggesting that none of that stuff had ever happened, or it had mostly been her fault. Which might have been kind of true, in a way. She was a piece of work, no doubt, always. I wouldn't have gone out with her, and my standards are pretty low. And by that time, she was basically a meth whore, skinny as shit and all bedraggled. So whatever attraction there might have been at one time was long gone. I figured I could handle myself better than Jessica, but none of it looked like too much fun. I kept telling myself I wasn't in any danger. There was only one thing I intended to lie about, really, and it was something mostly inside me. And because Nolan wasn't testifying, the only one who could tell what I wasn't going to was Andy, and it wasn't in his best interest. I was looking at the back of Andy's head again and drifting in my thoughts, nervous, like I say, when the prosecutor declined the chance to follow up and the judge called next witness, and the prosecutor said, The state called Robert Jerome Scott to the stand. That was me. I went up and they made me state my name, and they made me put my hand on the Bible and swear the oath, and then they told me to sit down, and I did. And a funny thing happened. I felt completely relaxed sitting up there on the witness stand, higher up than anyone but the judge. It felt like my courtroom. Dark green carpet, varnished wood, stark overhead lighting. Mine. I hadn't felt that feeling in a while. I turned and looked right at the jury. They didn't bother me. The room didn't even feel all that cold anymore. Could I tell the court my relationship to the defendant? Yes, I could. I was his friend. How long had I been friends with the defendant? I didn't know. Fifteen years, give or take a few. I thought I remembered playing with him on the playground as far back as first grade. State my age for the court? Twenty-two. Did I remember the events that occurred on the afternoon of August 8th of last year? Yes, I did, if that was the day Jeremy died. 
Where was I on August 8th? I was at Andy Munson's house. For the record, the house owned by Andrew Munson at 314 Lake Street? Yes. Were there other people there? Yes. Their names? Jeremy and Nolan. Jeremy Schiff and Nolan Saylor? Yes. And on that afternoon, Jeremy Schiff was killed? Objection. Legal explanation regarding objection, so on and so forth. Sustained. Rephrase the question. And on that afternoon, Jeremy Schiff died? Yes. For the first time since I took the stand, I looked at Andy. It wasn't that I'd been avoiding looking at him. It just hadn't occurred to me up to that point. It felt good that he had so little hold on me. It was surprising, though, how he looked.